Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hey guys, welcome to Candor and Counter. <laughs> it's going to be a full night of my voice cracking. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, so this is the latest counter episode. For objectivism. Yeah. Yeah, we were... Studying some Ayn Rand this week and trying to figure out exactly what objectivism was and what we did not know. Yeah, how it works, where it came from. And there are several things we heard when we were listening to the altruism stuff. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, we weren't focused on Obviously. It, right? So we knew like the ego existed. We definitely focused on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, well, I mean, that's her primary... But there right. are so much more. Yeah, there's, there is so many more things. Yeah, there's 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 several layers to it. She outlines them pretty clearly, I feel like, though. Yes. Yeah. I, I still I think I feel like I disagree with a lot of it. But I think that I understand it better than I did. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat on that. But there are a lot of things that she talks about that I agree with. As yeah. Well, so. It has a real mixture, and we're going to go over a little bit about what we were right about and what we were wrong about, or at least our opinions on what we were right and right, wrong about. Right. Well, I was thinking about this. Do we want to, uh, since the topic submission includes, you know, Ayn Rand, should we include, like, maybe a bit of her background? Because yeah, I think it definitely hurt. helps understand. Yeah, if you don't know anything about Ayn Rand, it's good to understand where she comes from and how her beliefs were formed. Yeah. I think she was born in, it was Russia somewhere. I think St. Yes. Petersburg. Yes. I don't know why I remember that specifically. Yeah. Is, is it uh Leninist Russia that she comes from? It's definitely from a socialist um, yeah. economy and, and belief system. During times when it was heavy, too, I think she lived there during... I'm pretty sure she lived in Russia during their civil war. And at one point was in... The revolution. Yeah, yeah. that's the word. I got you, though. <laughs> the communist revolution. Or is it the Bolshevik revolution? Definitely not something you can so, separate no. yourself from. And, and it, in fact, you know, it... it she didn't separate herself from it because it was used to drive a opposing philosophy yeah, right. to the one she grew up in. And, well, I don't love objectivism, but it is better than communism. We're <laughs> <laughs> saying communism is a philosophy now? It's, I mean, political philosophy, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider it that, but I mean... Well, Ayn Rand blurs these lines because, I mean, yeah. she's the one that's like laissez-faire capitalism is part of objectivism. Right? Yeah. There is philosophy in what kind of economy you choose. Yeah. Especially it's like the Bolsheviks were pushing the moral compass of the country to communism to save the common citizen. Right. That was, I mean, they're. Yeah. Driving force is a moral issue using philosophical context. So, I mean, although saying how you spend your money may not be directly philosophical. The philosophy always has consequences in everything. And it's a it's a good tool when when applied. yeah, Yeah. It's a good tool that people can use in a good or bad way. Yeah. So. 
that definitely shines a light on how she how it sort formed of, yeah her. developed these ideas yeah. and about how necessary she felt they were and it sort of explains how vocal or why she was so vocal so i think that we got stuck on the ego issue a lot last week and the self and i think we may honestly have exaggerated well i don't know it, i think it was due to lack of information it no, i agree with that yeah, yeah. It, it was due to lack of information it wasn't due to we weren't mischaracterizing right. intentionally right. we were of course yeah. not very well versed in objectivism being kind <laughs> yeah you might say that yeah, and that's the the hazards of the job we currently right. hold. But I did realize when we cracked open the subject that there was definitely more to it, and it wasn't just people making decisions based on their own self interest. It wasn't the whole picture, right? Right. You know. Yeah. So this week I went through a few different sources, but the one that struck me as the most explanatory i guess i would say and it's expansive in every aspect that it talks about mm -hmm. right yeah yeah it is quite in depth and they even have supplemental material that you can read it's it, it goes on for quite a while but i wanted something on objectivism that wasn't as shallow as some of the videos i right, come right. across yeah i wanted to immerse myself a little more because I was having a really hard time trying to understand this, this, this self-interest thing. Right. It just wasn't making sense to me. Cause there's also a ton to it. There's a lot. And like you, because it's a, it's like a whole package thing. It's not like an individual. Yeah. You know, when we talked about moral absolutism, that's, I mean, there are tangents there, but like, you're focused, you're laser focused. Right. When you say objectivism, it's it's a whole package yeah. of all of these yeah. ideas. And I mean, it even goes all the way to like how important is art and what kind of art matters and it and economy and all of this stuff. And you're just like, okay, this is a worldview. Yeah, she ties not the, just a philosophy. Right. Everything is tied together. Yeah. She like connects philosophy to to politics and to and, trade. But a very close to me, I don't mean to offend anybody if you are an objectivist, but it it's almost like the way the package is styled is almost like a religion. It's like it's like a whole belief system. Almost right? I, yeah, yeah. I think somewhere in this paper it describes it as cult like cult like. And I think that's I don't know if I'd say accurate because I've never met an objectivist. Right, me neither. So I think saying it's cult like would maybe be a little drastic in my opinion. Well, have you met any other cults? Also, no. Also, another reason to say I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but I, in all honesty, though, it does. It is a whole system of belief. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not surprising though. After like when we first talked about it last week, um and kind of went over the ego and the surface knowledge we had. Um, we all knew something was missing because we knew Ayn Rand worked on this for, I mean, almost basically her yeah. whole life. Well, right. Half of it at least. Right? Yeah. So someone working on this view for, you know, 30 plus years. I don't know the way that the Stanford encyclopedia of philosophy brought out the way she thought about philosophy was was more or less I need to use this uh, to explain to people what the truth is. I mean that was her perspective. She didn't particularly care about the philosophy. What she cared about was the real world and the implications yeah, of yeah. the philosophy. But that using the metaphysics to connect everyone to her idea is the only reason she cared about writing about it. Like if it wasn't going to connect people and bring them into her. Right. If it didn't serve her purpose and it was just a she, thought experiment, it'd be useless. To she her. did not even yeah. put any value in thought experiment unless it was right. objectively <laughs> effective. So anyway, there's a quote in the 
Stanford Encyclopedia article that we read that talks about how Rand holds philosophy, like we were just saying. And it goes like this. Like all forms of knowledge and achievement, it's important only because it is necessary for living a good human life and creating a world conducive to living such a life. That's, that's why she's saying that philosophy exists. And outside of that abstract thinking that doesn't reconnect to objective reality is useless philosophy. That's mm-hmm. right. Thought experiments and like ph- all the stuff we do. Yeah. <laughs> all the stuff we enjoy. Yeah. Which a lot of our stuff does connect to reality, yeah. but we definitely like to oh, we, follow the abstract. Trail. Oh yeah. We, we extrapolate. Yeah. yeah. She didn't like the only, the only philosopher she cited as giving her influence was Aristotle. And she, didn't like any other philosophers. Yeah, he was objectivism before objectivism. Yeah. The OG objectivist. <laughs> yeah. I don't it, think he was objectivist enough for her. No, I agree. He definitely wasn't. He definitely wasn't. There's Especially. a reason the like Socrates versus Aristotle like Yeah exists. Yeah, yeah they couldn't be more different. I, although I couldn't have told you that years ago. <laughs> I just kind of thought they were right. all on the same yeah, team. Yeah, me too. Right? Me too. They were all just like sitting together in a huddle puddle, like just. I, I didn't know that what Stoicism was or anything like that. I, I, you know what I mean. All Greek philosophy was just like it was, was Greek, Greek philosophy. philosophy. It was yeah. one thing, and they were like all united in it, right? Right. Like on this enlightened path, yeah. but it was no. Nah, they were all they were pointing not. fingers at each other. Oh, I mean, they the they swung at each other a couple times. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't doubt it. Another thing we should mention, which we did in the last podcast, was reread the description of objectivism, just in case. I think uh, I'll restate the definition, the actual definition of objectivism for us. In her own words, her philosophy, in essence, is the concept of a man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. What did we say about the concept of man as a heroic being? Well, we went really deep into yeah. what we thought heroism was there. Yeah. But I also think we focused on the wrong thing. I agree. Yeah. Like we hit ego really hard and we talked about, um, how heroism or being a hero in objectivism would be like for like what 10 15 minutes right and i and it was definitely not the thing to be focusing on yeah i That's think true. it was definitely more important i mean we did focus on egoism which yes. is a central yes. role but the hero part i don't think is the star of the show i mean it, i think it just means a vital role you know yeah. what i mean but also taking it is important to read her explanation or her summarization of what objectivism is but also to understand that's what it is it's a summarization right yeah yeah of a that's of what, a world view we do this all the time on this podcast and we realize we're taking summarizations and then building off of them rather than um tearing into the details of them which we can't do when until we understand it i get you know but Right. And so, yeah, we end up taking paths that don't exactly line up with the original line of thinking. Yeah. Following that heroism path was kind of delving more into egoism. It was. Yeah. Right. Because we were just saying, oh, a self-interested hero. Right. Yeah. But I, I realized that the connection between self and her philosophy is inseparable. I think the hero role wasn't necessarily her focus. It was a descriptor. Right. Which you kind of stated when you were talking about it being an arc, just kind of an archetypal word and wasn't. That's true. Like it was noted that it, it, it yeah. But I, I saw something. It was in a focus. This is jumping ahead a little, not jumping ahead, but jumping off topic a little bit. But in her 
in her understanding of the metaphysical life, she mentioned something that struck me as, I guess I was trying to figure out how to introduce this myself, but maybe you guys can help me. Cause I wanted to bring up the code of values and ethics and, and how that ties in with metaphysics. Yeah. I, I guess. So she, she, she splits it up into three subtypes, uh, intrinsic, subjective, and objective. Those are all the combined, the, metaphysical understanding of objectivism right intrinsic is when it is outside of the mind so this is the easiest way that i understand the intrinsic part so in your head your brain is going on and receiving these signals from your brain that says the world is out there what you're seeing is a signal that your brain is interpreting as color or vision. What is actually there, that is what is intrinsic. Right. It exists. The reality as it is separate from your mind. Yes. Subjectivity is your mind specifically. What what you see, what you observe, what, what exists for you. Right. So the intrinsic, the intrinsic, Is sort of like, why didn't they just call it objective? I'll just read this quote. This is another quote from the Stanford article that they did on, on objectivism. An intrinsic phenomenon is one whose nature depends wholly on factors external to the mind. A subjective phenomenon is one whose nature wholly depends on the mind. And an objective phenomenon is defined variously as which it depends on relation between a living entity's nature and its environment. It's the connection of the other two. It's the connection of the living thing to the environment that is based in, in reason, David, does that say that in objective? There there's more a little bit or as that, which depends on the relation between a properly functioning rational mind and an extra mental reality. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I was, that's the part I was trying to remember the rational mind and its connection to reality is objective. And something that is purely like just a thought experiment is, is subjective. Yeah. You see what I'm like? Right. Right. Something purely uh, like just, Entirely disconnected from the, the right, and and I Rand would probably say like my faith is purely subjective. She would. I, I would b- don't believe it is, but I would say that she would say that. And intrinsic is the existence of things. Right. It right? is the reality that exists. Right. right. Regardless of whether we accept it or know it or whatever. Right. In the paper, there's a a statement that sort of was reminiscent of a conversation that we had in the altruism. No, this always happens to me because I can't remember. It was the one about absolute um, truth. I think it was absolute truth because we talked about it was about the one where you had your own perspective about um. Like natural yes, laws. Yes, moral laws. It was moral absolutism. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the paper sort of, there's a mention about how survival is the organism's ultimate value. Mm-hmm. When you're going just like all the way to the base of life, mm-hmm. right? And the final goal or end to which all its other goals are the means. Are to meet that goal. Yeah. Yeah. And so drawing that all the way up to the human level, choosing to live was accepting one's own life as the ethical purpose, right? Because of the objective view and your connection to the environment and the ultimate value 
being your survival, that's where the ethical purpose comes from. So that's the connection between self and and values. E- ego and ethical or um, moral purpose. So it says um, the standard of all other, its other values are measured by that which furthers its life is the good and that which threatens it is the evil. Mm-hmm. So applying that to human beings, life is the standard goal of all genuine human values in the sense that all of them from food to philosophy to fine arts to ethics must be explained and justified as requirements of human survival. And that that makes ethics an objective metaphysical necessity of survival. That almost places. But it sounded to me like partially. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. A portion of. I mean, it's not a total. No, I I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Because I'm hearing a lot of similarities, right? Right. Uh, Almost word for word. So, um, back in moral absolutism, I, I think that your perspective was sort of there was a moral absolute, but it had to come from nature. Yeah. You know, it had to come from the universe somehow, like whether it was the a universal constant law you like know? a some survival Just a, base a, a like natural evolution thing like something that has to happen in right. a you know a the great filter comparison right right yeah. right that it was just going to come about if life were to exist right and that's sort of what they're saying like life itself having life but she's reaching uh, I'm that kind of sound like a defense I feel like there's a difference where she's reaching into the consciousness of a human and placing that moral obligation on that human instead of as a constant that exists from outside of the consciousness of humans. Yeah, because if you can rationally interpret that environment, then you become ethical. Mm. Because if once you can understand the environment you're in and have self-awareness and that kind of thing, then having the value of that life becomes something that you can do. Like if you're not self-aware, you can't do that. But it would, it would exist one way or the other. Yeah. Like intrinsically exists. Right. Right. But until you're rationally connected, see a lot of it, it does make logical sense, Right. But just we've learned in the past that just making logical sense doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't always mean good. It doesn't make a complete and, picture. Yeah, either. it doesn't. Always, yeah, it doesn't encapsulate what it means to me to be human. Right. Yeah. There. It's like one piece might seem like it fits together, but that yeah. is not the same thing as the, the as the whole. Yeah. Everything that ends up kind of being a drop in the bucket when you talk about it, like it specifically. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good ideas within objectivism. And there are three metaphysical points that are pretty central to her ideology around ethics, and one of them is that all living things have values, not only human beings. And only living entities have values. And that life necessitates value. And value depends on life. Like without life, there isn't value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that quote before, but I'd never heard her reference like other living things before. That's interesting. And entities' values are determined by its objective life needs. So your values are based on the needs of that life. Mm-hmm. And so the way morals come into it is that ethics is a requirement for human survival and that values are neither intrinsic properties 
of things nor subjective. They are all objective. Right. And exactly. And so hence they're the name dependent on the nature of the valuing entity and its environment causes it to be an objective. I see point an objective um, experience. No value. Oh, so when you follow the thought process, it is, it does seem rational. Like yeah, it does, it does seem, seem like there's a path. You yeah. see a lot of things that make sense. Right. Right. I mean, if you're relating the values to anything with life, it's like, I mean, animals, well, you know, they risk their own lives, not just for their own sake. Leading back to our moral absolutism, we talked about the survival of the species as being a directive. You know what I mean? Like a possible natural law that you felt might exist. They're constantly not necessarily worrying about their own life. You mean animals? Yeah, I mean, especially in humans too. Well, But in animals, for sure, they're either protecting their own young or like uh, rights for reproduction or they'll put their own survival at risk for many, many reasons. And it isn't just their own person, you know, it isn't their own survival. You know, if you apply that, because you see that bore out in animals, you see survival as a big right, yeah. factor in their lives, right? So even if you extrapolate that and say it is the factor, it is the driving motivator, it is all the things, right? It still doesn't mean it has to be for humans. That's what I was. Oh, okay. I follow. Because humans are these super complex it's very yeah. clear yeah you know that i mean that we have a society and yeah that it's it's very very clear that that humans are on an entirely different level yeah. pride even if we find yeah. animals that learn how to interact and communicate certain ways with humans yeah they're nowhere anywhere close and so just saying that a complex human is as simple as has values as simple as the rest of the king, mm. animal kingdom doesn't compute, doesn't have to be the same. When you put it like that, it almost makes it hard to believe it is the same because we are extremely complex creatures. Another point is I, I don't think that the morality of survival is essential for survival, I just think it's beneficial to survival. Like it, it clearly benefits you to watch out for yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it doesn't. It's not the sole focus or reason that you're alive either. You know what I mean. There's a, a mention of a comparison of how many dictators, like the pharaohs and Stalins and Mao's and whatever they, they survived by making elaborate plans oh, yeah. to preserve their I lives and their power using, you know, all kinds of terrible acts and, and death and bribery and terror, but they concealed it behind moral yeah, and they they posed a huge threat to the lives of their subordinates yeah. uh, more than their own lives. There, It was an elevation, you know? And so it's not like in some circumstances acting in your own self-interest decrease the individual's chance for survival. I mean, sort of just in defense of objectivism, I guess. Uh, and this isn't even like a, a stalwart defense or anything, but I know Ayn Rand specifically uh, at least once or twice uh, when I was listening to her talks, I heard her mention specifically that when man is furthering his own interests, he doesn't harm others or himself. Right, right. I, I don't know how, but it just doesn't, you just can't apply it here. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, yeah, I think it's the survival is top and that while you are furthering your own value, 
you cannot affect the survival of others or yourself. Yeah, and that would be like second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and yeah, it, I believe that is the way it is proposed. But I just wanted to like put it out there in there. Yeah, that yeah. she was. She like outlined this a little bit. So this is sort of what they summarize as survivalist ethics, right? The whole basis for survival being the driving force behind the moral values of the society. Mm -hmm. But I just don't see that as being an accurate description of the society we live in. Like, I don't, I don't understand that to be reality survival being the driving force well i mean it's hard to see anything but what we currently have as the driving force like it's hard to imagine a different reality where there was a different ethical base that we choose well if you ask ayn rand objectivism has never been wholly enacted in anywhere in the world yeah, we talked about that last week yeah. too, in the sense that we said a there whole, hasn't been there hasn't been a whole like self interested egoistic society, mm-hmm. but it's the same perspective. I mean, and she's right; it hasn't been, but I don't think that you can scale it that way. Yeah, I I, I agree. So one thing that I was shocked by was I felt like I had gotten pretty off topic talking about a conscientious person last week. I was listening to the episode come out today and I was like, man, I really got off on this conscientious person tangent person who likes productive work. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and then it really hit me that I was really connecting with uh, Ayn Rand in this regard. Did you catch that? In the, in the finding a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That productive work just sort of being the noblest activity. Yeah. The, the noblest activity and then pride resulting from that, you know, and it's like that being the archetypal hero of his story, you know, I, it does all tie together. I just didn't realize when I was saying it then that it. Yeah. I mean, we cut it up into segments, so it was kind of hard to. Yeah. Connect and everything. I agree with a lot here. I don't know that I would say it's like on the hierarchy of values. She puts it there at yeah, determine. Like, yeah. I mean, it determines all the other values, you know, and your ability to produce. And I think tying your value directly to your ability to produce, I think that is not a good way of assigning value. I think that there is, I think there's a built-in value to human life that regardless of the amount of productive work that you do is already there. You know what I'm saying? You're saying you... you there is worth well, that I'm, exists. I really period. don't. I don't know exactly what I said a minute ago, but I do think that I might have just conflated the word value with values. I don't remember what you said. <laughs> so I'd like to, like, okay, you have a hierarchy of values, things that uh, your moral ethics, right? Right. And then you have value, the worth of the human being. Mm. And I was, I, I think I was led from one thought into the other and switched the worst and compared them. Does that make sense? Which is totally because they have false. You can't even do that. Apples and oranges, boys. Yeah. One thing that caught my attention was when we discussed happiness last week, I, I even mentioned that I didn't like the word because it seems so ambiguous. Yeah, that's a good word. It seems very ambiguous in today's world because the word is really thrown around a lot. But they clarified the word happiness, which I liked. I was because it draws it down to a 
There's a, a quantifiable. Yeah. Yeah. And in the Stanford article, it says happiness is the existentially and physiologically successful state of life. As an emotion, it is not simply a positive subject state. As on some contemporary views, but an emotion that meets certain normative standards as a state of non-contradictory joy or a joy without penalty or guilt. So okay. a joy without penalty or guilt and successful state yeah. of life. Those are much easier. Yeah, just that modify. last line is pretty pretty spot on. Right. Right. So I I liked the fact that we were able to narrow that down. And I would agree with I I can discuss happiness on that definition. You know what I mean? It's much easier to do. Ayn Rand mentions that happiness is really only achievable by the man that desires nothing but rational goals, seeks nothing but rational values, and finds his joy in nothing but rational activities. So, I don't know that I agree with that. I was going to say... I don't either. People find joy in art that doesn't enable survival they find joy in creating something for others uh-huh just as an art form in general right and it doesn't have to be rational it can be abstract or right whatever <laughs> or me i mean no that i was gonna say that abstract um art that helps people cope when they do it but that's that's not on the happiness side right is it not when when you're pulling something out of you and putting it on paper to kind of cleanse this all isn't a joyful part of the creation no but it's in objectivism one of You're self-fulfilling Yeah, yeah but I, I, what I'm saying is... Yeah. I'm looking for an art form that would be outside of objectivism, but is still fulfilling. That That is still a guilt-free, joy-ridden art form that someone does. I mean, you don't even have to have a ton of examples. It's just... Just saying that one person can find joy or happiness outside of what you might or what might be called rational like humans do that all the time i don't understand yeah i don't i don't understand it i don't understand this concept behind only is she saying that there is a cost, a penalty, or a guilt, or is there some there? Is she saying that there is no joy? With like, it sounds like she's what, yeah. It sounds like she's saying it is the only source of joy. Yeah, I I just can't I can't connect it to reality. Can I see it? it through uh, what was it? Uh, something activities. Rational. Rational. Everything was rational. Yeah. It was. It was and rational just, values. Rational activities. I. But I guess because if you're saying, a. I don't know. If something creates joy, then it is rational. But see, what we're trying to do, she believes it's objective rather than subjective. But I would say that joy is probably subjective. Like, I don't know how it could be anything else. But she's not saying that. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's saying... I don't even know because... She's saying happiness is objective. Yeah. And I just don't... I can't understand that. But in... 
objectivism something that objective something that is objective contains the subjective doesn't it uh, a creature or uh, entity connecting with the external that's the objective yeah yeah but the subjective is what is totally within the bounds of of thought right and i think what she's abstract i have to guess the the only way that i could explain it to myself for it to make sense is that art is a thing you create that isn't in the mind okay you take it from the because mind a, from subjective uh-huh. and create it in an objective way i guess i mean she would probably say that you drew like you drew from your objective reality to create the subjective but i, I don't know I mean, it seems like a circular train of thought in my opinion but but I, I think the relationship between objective and subjective in this case is probably more along the lines of of they view the subjectivity as separate, not not contained within objectivity. Yeah. Um, and the subjective thought or the subjective uh, emotion, feeling, all of the all of the thought conclusion you would draw outside of rational thinking. That's part of the objective thought. Everything outside of that is only to be used when there isn't enough information available. Like you only rely on, on intuition, emotion and, and abstract thought and that kind of thing when there isn't enough information available to create a reasoned rational Right. Explanation. Right. Which explains, in her opinion, you know, religion and things like that and less developed uh, as we fill in the gaps. Yeah. You start running into problems when you try to explain everything, right? Yeah. There's so much ground to cover. This happens every time we find some kind of like big view. Yeah. I, you know, Tackling objectivism has got. We barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. This is. I mean, we're talking about one paper and a few videos or articles we read. Yeah. And like pulling information from those. And it's just wild how much just one person's. There is such an unlimited supply. And there's several, several books on objectivism. Yeah. Yeah. That we haven't even... And we haven't even yet covered, you know, and we didn't cover last week her position, because it's part of the philosophy, on laissez-faire capitalism. Yeah, economy. I was actually going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I figured we should touch on it before we get... Because we're close to wrapping up. we got to move on to the next um, fresh episode, episode yep. today, because we're going to get a new topic. So... This is one of those points where I come close to really agreeing with Ayn Rand. I'm not a full... Me too. I'm not a wide open... At least I'm not yet. I have gotten more and more of a hands-off capitalist, a more laissez-faire capitalism supporter over the years. I've gotten closer and closer that way. Deregulation and getting rid of subsidies, all the things like eliminating government interference within the marketplace. That seems to be the solution to me to a lot of problems, but I think there are inherent problems with, um, an unregulated market as well. And so I like, I just don't know where I don't know that I can completely commit to saying hands off regulation you know that's a personal opinion and i'm not referencing any of her material here but i'm just going off by my general understanding of lazy fair capitalism yeah i don't really know the intricacies of that either 
Well, it, it definitely feeds the self-interested flow of objectivism. Well, yeah, it's also like you let each person with their own self-interest yeah. approach the market in their own way and let it work itself out and everything will, will normalize. Right. And I'm sure her philosophy goes even deeper. And I think it would be beneficial. Look, most of the time when the market goes bad, it goes badly because of regulation. You know, it goes badly because someone was prioritized over someone else. And, um, because anytime choices are made, in in a capitalist society by anyone other than the private parties then someone loses yeah and that's unavoidable it's just a fact of of existence of a supreme ruler you know what i mean like of someone who is above the two private parties making the decisions favorites right right come out so and it also invites the ruining of the political system. If you don't involve the private markets in, there is oh, no yeah, reason, yeah, yeah. right? If you, if you don't have in a regulation or involvement within, uh, the confines of the market, then the government has no reason to be corrupted. Now humans are very good at turning the government as an instrument to affect the market. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. still, they're going to try, but, it, you know, even if you disconnected it, but. You definitely affect it less. Well, yeah, I mean, then you're talking about direct corruption can sort of disappear. You know, it's not illegal for uh, a new launch IPO to gift millions of oh, dollars yeah. worth of shares to a U.S. senator. Do you know that? IPO, an IPO uh, uh, initial product offering. Oh, okay. It's when they launch on the stock yeah. market. It's when a public offering. It's when a company goes public on the stock market. When that happens, they can offer shares to sitting political office holders, absolutely free. Like there's no. I mean, you can give them. You can absolutely yeah. pay them millions of dollars by doing that. Twenty. You can't give them cash by that amount of money. But, but you can give them twenty percent, thirty percent of shares. Yeah, yeah, they can become millionaires. You at yourself the launch of an IPO own forty, split the rest, the twenty percent, whatever <laughs> left over. Why? Why would they do that? Just so they can get a good, a big well, shareholder and have a say, lot of their stock. Say the go up. corporation that owns the company who's launching an IPO has a headquarters in your California district and also uh, needs this policy passed through or whatever. I see. Right. Yeah. But not particularly so, yeah. the IPO, but like. When you have a political shareholder, you'll have yeah. some political and it happens power. Oh it yeah, happens it's straight bribery. It happens a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's not uncommon. Yeah, I can't say it's very common. I'm surprised. I didn't. Now you, like I'd I never said, considered you it on such a. I don't know how more local level. This is illegal. Like it just blows my mind. Or or how it's legal when. Uh, People are campaigning. That's another big one. Yeah, they have. Um, like, a, a, I don't even know what you would call them, like lobby rallies. Well, they'll just gather uh, companies around and be like, I need money to campaign. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they take donations. See, they're called super PACs. Yeah. And all these people can take donations. Now, super PACs are officially not supposed to be affiliated with the person. So, like, all this advertising money and campaign money and all goes to the super PAC. Yep. And the super PAC pays for the campaign. But the but the person who's campaigning can have no connection to the super PAC. Like, the people that run it, they can't talk to them. They can't communicate. They have to, like, 
support this person. It's just it's just bizarre. They're like so roundabout. Yeah. And they have because they're trying to subvert the election integrity laws yeah. by doing that, by getting super PACs. And all of them do it. It's I'm not look, red, blue, like all right. of them. Yeah. Everybody does it. They're all in the same system and the system is broken. Anyway. All right. So what do you guys feel about objectivism? As a whole? Yeah, it's such a loaded question, really. Right. Because obviously there are elements we agree with. Like, I agree. I don't know if I would take, like I said, capitalism to the extreme. But she has a a small government mindset that is well-suited. Exactly. She has a... um, And, and, you know, this individualist mindset, that really strikes a chord with me. Yeah, yeah, that too, for sure. And, but... I think I have to draw the line in my personal life as far as like how I could implement in, in, you know, objectivism in any real way. I, I just can't have this total me, me, blackout me. on altruism. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I have to have more of, of the rest of the world in yeah. the story. You know what? That sounds like sounds a lot like Jordan Peterson's. It's all the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Where Talk. decisions that involve self-interest also involve people outside interest. of the self-interest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, we went over this last week. Like David said, it's just I don't think my perspective on that has changed. I don't. No. Yeah, I agree. We say it before we say it again. Nothing is ever so black and white that you can just go all one way. Yeah. Right. And right, it right. be implementable. I think you're I think you're exactly right. Even even when it comes to capitalism, and I'm a hardcore supporter, I'm an anti socialist. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh but even I have right. to sit there and say at the end of the day, I'm scared of pure market. Yeah. With zero regulation. Left to our devices. Right. It's, it's a little much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause like once a company gets so much control and then it dominates the market and there's no getting, there's no competition. There will never right. be competition because they are large enough to crush it. Uh, how can you say capitalism is the best is, um, you know, I just don't. And like I said, that comes from somebody who supports capitalism, but I think that it's perfectly possible to ruin capitalism through capital. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so it needs protecting and there you have this dichotomy because I don't trust the government and I don't want the government to protect. Yeah, they could the they market. could also ruin capitalism themselves. Exactly. And they do just as well as capitalism does. Yeah. And so there is a weird balance that humans gotta figure out. But like I said, even there, I can't go to the full extreme like she does. And rarely is something that black and white. But by willing by being willing to accept middle ground this is why compromise works yeah this is why compromise is successful in in political ambitions in in uh, social and moral laws the reason it works is because in that one instance you may be right whatever particular issue you're voting on or talking about or whatever you may be right right, right. But if you insist on driving that to the nth degree, all the way to the end, guess what? At some point, you're going to be wrong. Yeah. And then you're going to cause the downfall of whatever it is they're talking about. Sean, how do you feel about objectivism? Um, I, I, I don't agree with it. Uh, well, I agree with it about half the time. If I were to like blanket statement how I felt about it and. Uh, I think a person can implement it and it could work, but I don't think, uh, 
it's a way a society should be. It's not a practical philosophy as a as a whole. Right. Right. I, I see it, what it, you mean though. I mean it's like we talked about the conscientious person and productive work being her main mm-hmm. value uh, and yeah, I don't think it's like all true but like you you can attain happiness in a roundabout way still by following objectivism. Right, right. But you're not really doing it in an objectivist world. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like you're reaping the benefits of the altruistic world around right. you. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and you're, and then you're living this objectivist life. <laughs> and it, yeah. It, and that yeah. may be an unfair critique. I don't know. Like I said, I've never talked to an objectivist, but. Of course, that's how it is always on this show. Right. Talking about things we don't know yeah. to people who we also are don't know. Literally armchair critics. That's what we do. <laughs> well, I think that does it for us today. Yeah, nice. Uh, a deeper delve into what could have uh, been part of the. Well, no, I took them back. I was going to say part of the altruism. But uh, objectivism it, it, is different enough where it's definitely it's its own yeah yeah definitely it's deep enough to warrant its own episode but i'll say if you i'll say if you haven't listened to our altruist episode or altruism episode take a look i think it's number i think it's it's in the beginning it's way back near the front like two maybe it might be one is it one for real altruism was the first one we did all right, I feel like an idiot because <laughs> it was the first episode we've ever recorded. But if you haven't heard our first episode, it's on altruism. And um, it would be a good one to segue to if you haven't checked our older ones out. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, Because you would really, if you connected with, um, or maybe not connected with Ayn Rand, but like if you were able to understand what we were trying to get at in this episode, then it will tie in nicely to that one. So, you can And then you'll get to hear our first time we ever yeah, got behind the our mic. baby podcast <laughs> oh yeah there might be some bad cuts or something <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> but yeah we're proud of it we are so guys we're signing off now we're really glad that you you came and we hope that in the future uh to i was gonna say see you again but i don't see you now <laughs> but you know what i'm saying <laughs> if you want to look on our facebook you will find our page counter encounter podcast it has all of our posts that contain each episode. Uh, and in each episode's post, you can find information on that topic in the comments. Oh, and if you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, you can go to candorencounter.com slash submit. Put it in there. I'm sure we'll get to it and we'd love to talk about it. So, so if you have any ideas, please send them our way. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcast, if you'd give us a review, we'd be really, really grateful. And let us know how we're doing. Give us some pointers, um, praises, tips, whatever you got. Just send them our way. And if you're listening on our website, go to the Podchaser link at the top and do the same thing there. So that's officially it for us, guys. And we hope that the rest of your time is wonderful. And just remember, we love you as a human being. So until next time, take it easy. And uh, I, it's, I got it right here. Or somebody does, anyway. Yeah. I have it here. All right, I'm going to let... All right. Yeah. So that was really distant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. That's it's a taxi. Taxi. <laughs> <laughs>